All right, welcome to this episode of Restoring Your Voice, a special episode uh, to open up 2022 with. Um, I believe that this episode is going to bless you, it's going to equip you, uh, it might rattle your cage, but that's always a good thing. So this interview with uh, my friend Ryan Johnson of Ryan Johnson Ministries, host of the Blacksmith Chronicles. If you haven't checked it out, why not? What are you waiting for? Welcome to the show, Restoring Your Voice, where me, your host, Pastor David, apostle called by Jesus for the good works and glory of Jesus, I'm going to help you use your God-given voice. I'm going to equip you for the good works of Jesus and prepare you for the return of Jesus. I'm going to do this through hitting up hot biblical topics, problem areas in the body of Christ, in the charismatic, in other areas of the body of Christ, in an attempt to help bring clarification, purity, consecration, in love and patience as the Bible commands. I'm going to have special guests on that are going to equip you and edify you through their stories that give God the glory where you'll get different viewpoints in different areas because we're all one body and we all have a piece of the puzzle to share with one another. So I look forward to you watching, listening, and interacting. God bless you. And here comes Ryan. Welcome back to the show. Hey, brother. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, not a problem, man. Like I said, uh, uh, I've been watching what you've been posting. I believe truly that that's the Lord speaking uh, to you and through you. And, you know, I believe that we share a similar heart on things, but it's always good to get a different take because, you know, I only got a very, 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 very small piece of the pie and puzzle, if you will. So I, I, I'm not probably going to open up with something large, but that's okay. So what do you think that the Lord is trying to say to his bride right now? Uh, yeah, that is a loaded question because <laughs> I, it, it feels like it can be a multitude of different things. You know, I, I mean, we could scattergun it and talk about the simplicity of repent and return to me. Uh, return to the first love. Um, there's so much of make the bride ready, um, prepare the way. Uh, things that would fit the narrative of where we're at as a culture, as a society, as a whole. There's there's so many things that we could do. But for me personally, mm -hmm. um, you know, I I really have began to really. <sighs> focusing on what God was saying, you know, looking forward in this. And for me, it came in a simple phrase that when I heard that the Lord said, you know, I'm calling for the repairs of the breaches. Mm. And that word at first was not one of those things where I went, oh, yes, Lord, you know, I get it. This is so awesome. It's great. It was it was first kind of a hesitation and a pause because I, I sincerely kind of checked myself and went, wait a minute, do I even fully understand what that means? Do I fully comprehend? You know, I know the simplicity of it. And right. I know the basics of it. And this is why a lot of us can get to that point to where we, we know the basics of things. But do we really 
deep down know the foundational truth of what those things mm. are implying in its proper context. Right. And then understanding what that context is to where we are as a body of Christ today. Uh, and that's one of those things that I believe that God is calling us in, um, in multiple levels. And, and when I say this, again, I'm not discrediting anything that anybody else may be hearing or feeling or sensing, whatever the case may be. Uh, some could have a dream, a vision, a word, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I think the greatest thing that the Lord is ultimately calling us to is to get back to the foundations of our faith, the principles of the Word of God. What does the Word of God actually say? Not what sounds good, not what feels good, not what appears to be good, but what is actually God right. uh, in that in that principle. So even in hearing something, if we hear repent, uh, you know, what does that exactly mean? If we hear uh, to get the bride ready to prepare, what exactly does that mean in the context of the Word of God? So there's a lot of things, and, and, and that's the reason I say people may have all different perceptions of what it may be. And individually, you can hear something or see something, but I think the overall fundamental aspect is God is really calling the bride to know what you know in accordance to the Word of God. Mm not appearing to know what you know because it makes you feel good or it permits whatever you want to deem acceptable. Right. What is, you know, really sound old school, what is thus saith the Lord God Almighty? <laughs> right, exactly. What what does that mean? I mean, I mean, is it is it is it, you know, I think cuz we've gotten to the point where truth is how does it make me feel? You know, I think that's what we've gotten to a lot is that the litmus test of truth is how does it make me feel? If I walk away feeling good, then it was good. And I like that because, as you well know, especially in the charismatic circles, we, we tend to de-emphasize what the Word of God has to say. And we often go with, well, the Spirit told me or I had a dream or whatever it may be. And we never bother to check ourselves based upon the fundamentals of the word of God. Well, it's, it's a strange time we live in, in, in the sense of the, the, where we have valued and determined the worth of an opinion. Hmm. Um, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. The problem is when an opinion becomes your version of truth just because you have an opinion doesn't necessarily make your opinion truth when we look at it in the accordance of word. Uh, but if we were to take and, and just go to day-to-day -day life and, and you live in a small town and you have a four-way crossing and there's stop signs, uh, if you don't abide by that law and that stop sign, you may for the first couple of months get by with running that stop sign because your opinion is a stop sign shouldn't be there. So now your truth is, you don't have to abide by that stop sign. Eventually, there's going to come a day that your version of truth, based on your opinion, will catch up with you and you'll have an accident. Now, the question is, will that cost you or cost someone else in that in that process? Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that's where we're at as a culture that is, is very interesting because of how we have demonized what is biblical truth and we have overestimated the value 
of someone's opinion based on where they want to be in the complacency in accordance to God's truth. You know, I, I hear people, they'll mention, uh, they'll mention, well, I, I know what you're saying that means, but for me, it doesn't mean that. Right. And you kind of, you know, cock your head and look and go, what do you mean for you? It doesn't mean that. I mean, it, it, are you, you, I mean, right. <laughs> not realistic side of it. Um, yeah. it, this, this is mankind, but when you, you know, a culture is in trouble when the culture starts to redefine what God himself created in the beginning, yeah. God created male and female. So the culture itself now has redefined it in male, female, non-existence. You're just a pronoun uh, or you can be an it or whatever the case it may be. And that mentality, we may attribute it to mankind, but that mentality eventually crosses over in other forms of ideology. And that ideology eventually creeps into the church. And we start redefining things based on what we need them to be in accordance to how we are feeling in that moment. Um, there's a, there's a really dangerous term that is going around right now called deconstruction. Right. And it's something that is growing rapidly and it's taken on that mentality. When you don't like how something is in accordance to your idea, your opinion, deconstruction, literally they're, they're saying, well, you deconstruct what the word says and you try to understand it from a more modern perspective. And, but they'll never use the terminology, terminology modern perspective. They'll just say, you realize that doesn't apply to you today because you're a modern culture or modern civilization. Right. So these things, it's interesting because I think the majority of the bride of Christ would sit here and say, yes, there's only male and female. But as the world has redefined the terminology that mentality has also crept its way in the church in a different form. Mm. And what we're doing is we're not redefining male and female, but we're definitely redefining the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've seen that. Um, I've, I've seen numerous uh, stuffs by Barna and others that, that have these this data out there where people don't believe the Holy Spirit uh, is God, for instance. They don't believe that. Um, there, there's numerous people that, don't believe that Jesus existed prior to the virgin birth of Mary and, and, and so much more out there. But I wonder though, I wonder how much of what the world believes did the church start doing first? That's, that's, that's what I wonder at times. You know, it's a really good question. Um, and honestly, I don't know. I was trying to think of any research data that I've come across that would even kind of highlight anything along those lines. And I can't think off the top of my head, but it's an interesting process of that because it, at one time the world functioned from its formation of the church, everything centered around the church, right. um, you know, generations and generations ago. So you, you see how a culture is based off of the fundamental work of the church, local churches in the communities. This is, you know, I'm thinking back when school houses were one building and, you know, first grade all the way through 12th grade was all together in one room. Um, and you had everything that centered around the church as a whole, but we've been away from that a good 150 years, give or take a little. And so it's interesting to apply it now because I don't know 
that I can put an exact finger. I think we're making waves in some areas. Um, I spoke with a movie producer, a Hollywood movie producer. He's put out some pretty well-known films and, and he and I were having a discussion about, um, you know, faith-based movies. And, and, and I owned up to the fact that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of faith-based movies just right. because they're poorly acted. They're poorly written. You know, they're, you know, they just don't, I'd rather have a movie that has the implementation of faith and, and God and Christ and everything than for it to be quote unquote, the Christian movie because of the bad writing, bad acting, all that. And I asked him, I said, how do you go, you know, to the Hollywood elite and uh, present them with a faith-based movie? And, and he told me something that just blew me away. He said, Hollywood is actually clamoring towards faith-based movies. They want, they can't get their hands on enough of them because they hmm. know that they make money. Ah. That's the only reason they want them is right. that they make money. Uh, it's not any other way, but when I hear that, I see little glimpses of that. You know, I see where the church is kind of putting its imprint on that. Now, granted, it's a small imprint. Uh, it might be our pinky toe <laughs> versus <laughs> our whole foot, uh, but every little bit counts. And of course, I can see it in some local governments, some state governments, um, even in the federal government. I have a family member that is, you know, an United States congressman. Uh, he's a Die, died in the wool, straight, born again, child of God, and he's doing everything he can as a, a Christian and serving this nation. We see those glimpses of those things, but it, it's really hard to point something monumental. And granted, I don't think anything becomes monumental without those small glimpses. So the right. small glimpses are good. It just always alerts us to the work that is before us and how valuable that work is. Right. So, I mean, what about, all right, you know, we talk about uh, redefining things that the world has been doing. And, you know, at the start of this, and of course, you know, what you've been putting out about. So this emphasis on, on scripture. And um, I know for, from my vantage point, anyways, I've been seeing for, you know, more than just a few years, this de-emphasis on, on scripture. And, and I, I, you know, obviously there's, I don't have the full picture, but, you know, you, you, I'm sure you see this this lack of you emphasis on scripture that has built up over time, and so that, like I said, you know, hey, we this deconstruction thing isn't. I don't think it's anything new. I think it's been building up and it's just gotten to this point. You know, over like you you were talking about the small things. It is. It's definitely been around a long time. Deconstruction is just more of a modern terminology right. that's become accepted by many in the church because I, I, I would say this, those that are buying into the deconstruction ideology, I don't even want to say theology. I really want to say ideology on right. that is not every case. So I don't want to make it a blanket statement. Not every single case of everybody falling in deconstruction falls in the same category. But an overwhelming majority of individuals that get captivated by deconstruction ideology are those who have been hurt by the church. Mm. Uh, they've been hurt by a pastor. They've been hurt by church members or worship team leader, whatever the case may be. You'll find them in coming out of ministries, maybe where there was spiritual abuse, maybe where there was aggressive leadership, maybe, you know, again, church hurt, maybe, um, you know, you're part of a church and adultery happened and so on and so forth. So uh, those things, you, you have individuals that the majority of them, not all, the majority are coming out of that 
and they're hurting and they're they're genuinely hurting and they have whatever reason that they are hurting but they know how important their faith in christ is so what they do and to try to process a lot of that hurt is try to reanalyze what scripture says but they say it from a place of hurt or a place of offense or a place of rejection um but when you it's very very easy to get other individuals who doesn't fit in that category so this is across the board it's easy to get people to believe in a deconstructive ideology when you're already ignorant of the word of god now what i mean by ignorant of the word of god i don't mean that as an insult i mean that right. in the definition of the word lack of knowledge there are a lot of people that go to church sunday after sunday they're part of midweek services they're part of life groups or discipleship groups or family groups whatever you want to call them they're a part of all those things they're part of the church but realistically, the only Bible that they get applied in their life is when the pastor reads from the Bible. Right. So I can come in or John Doe can come in and they can bring something that sounds godly and they can base it on a particular passage of Scripture, but they can twist that Scripture to fit their idea of what it appears to be. And it's simply because it's a lack of knowledge from the other part of it. For example, let, let's let's go back to the great debate of all time. You know, every every church still, it seems like today, it's not all, but a majority of them, you know, they still debate of whether or not a woman can preach the word of God. Right. And they get this from, you know, Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 14 that, you know, women be quiet and, and but if if you don't know first of all who Paul was talking to, if you don't know the context of what Paul was addressing, you don't know the time frame of what Paul was addressing, and you don't know what was happening in that particular region, you don't fully get the whole picture. So if you don't have all that background, then you can look at that scripture and you can make a theological dissertation about the fact that women shouldn't preach right. simply off of that. Uh, and that's an issue that we have. But now you fast forward to where in, in, in the sense of people saying, you know, women, which, by the way, I'm for it 110 percent. My senior pastor is a woman. So just everybody listening, uh, <laughs> I know the context <laughs> and who Paul was talking to. Um, but what I'm saying is, <clears throat> excuse me, you can get a passage of Scripture or even a chapter um, and you can form it to what you need it to be as long as your crowd and your group have a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. Hmm. And it, it, But again, the deconstruction side of it comes from, often, comes from hurt, comes from rejection, comes from the pain, the suffering, whatever the case may be. So people are in that unique situation. You know, I, I was listening, uh, I listened to a podcast series. It was very, very, very good. It was about uh, a pastor that, in honest to goodness, I knew the name, but I never followed the pastor. I really didn't know anything about the pastor. I just knew the name because he was really popular at one time. And um, I, I actually thought he was part of another denomination, like to fell over when I feel, realized he was a part of this denomination, you know, a, a particular mm. one. I was like, whoa, I never even saw that one coming. But, uh, their church crumbled. It fell apart, and mm. they they had a lot of internal issues. 
And the podcast is listening or, or allowing the listener to hear from different leaders. And you can hear their pain. You can hear their rejection. You can hear their hurt. But at the same time, you would hear so many of them that they all said the same thing. I had to learn how to deconstruct my faith. Now, that sounds very simple in that. But here's the problem. If I run into person and they say, I want to deconstruct my faith, I have to look at them and go define that. Right. Because if I simply say the deconstruction of faith, most people think that's just an idea of what do I really believe? And that sounds in and of itself good. You know, I say all the time, you don't know what you believe until you have to believe. Right. Um, but the reality is you have different groups. There's there's certain groups that will sit here and tell you that all you need are the four Gospels. You don't need the rest of the Bible because mm. they've dis, uh, deconstructed their faith. All they need are the four Gospels. You have people that tell you they only need the letters of Paul. And you don't need the four Gospels or anything else. Of course, you got those that are New Testament only, don't have anything to do with the Old Testament, mm. which has always fascinated me because so much of the New Testament, it's actually the Old Testament. Right. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, um, so what you're finding is people are literally picking and choosing what they want to accept based on what they really want to get away with in life. Mm. And again, this is not every single person who is hurt, offended, rejected, whatever. They're not all that way. And I, I, I don't, don't, I don't want to imply it that way. I'm just saying it is often the case, right. but the root of all of it is, is that lack of knowledge. Um, and it, it's so crazy because, you know, I teach at a school of ministry and uh, some of my courses that I teach are really should be fundamental things of any Christian walk whatsoever. But there are things that the average church attending person has no clue what they mean, right. what they mean to their walk with Christ, because they've been geared to think that their Old Testament ideas are they're really not that important or, you know, it's a big word that has implications that I don't want to go down or whatever the case may be. And I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about simple things in, in, in the in, in the understanding of, you know, what exactly is sanctification? Mm. What is that? You know, what is consecration? What does propitiation mean? Mm. And what does propitiation mean to you as an individual? Right. But, you know, I, I which <clears throat> I've spent years, um, you know, just teaching on propitiation, for an example. And you'd okay. be surprised the people I say, how many of you, this is the first time you ever heard that word before? And okay. hands go up. All of that, wow. I've, I've just never heard that word. And then you go down and you start reading scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture in the New Testament that mentions the word propitiation. Mm -hmm. So there's a problem here. Either we're not reading the word of God or we're not absorbing what we're hearing mm -hmm. when the word of God is, is read when it comes to certain words that would cause us to dig deeper. So, you know, there's the, there's ultimately there's these things that are happening and it all comes from that lack of knowledge. Right. I, I mean, I, I completely see where you're coming from. You know, I get it all the time. I come across people. They tell me something they believe, and I'll tell you, and I ask them a question, why do you believe that? And they'll say, well, because it is, because so-and-so said so. And I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me what scripture says it. Just give me give me, give me, me about three or four scriptures that say, that say, because obviously we can't hang a theology or doctrine. I want scripture alone. And they can never give it to me. 
And I'm like, well, then what you believe is either false or you just, you know, ignorant. And anyways, but, you know, so with all that, I'm sure people are probably wondering, you know, maybe, maybe I pray that people are listening who don't really study the Bible so they can absorb and say, man, I really need to study it. But I'm sure, especially for your average lay Christian who may and may not get much discipleship, they're probably saying, well, how much do I have to actually learn? You know, do I have to go by, you know, how many expository commentaries do I have to go get? Um, you know, stuff like that. And maybe, you know, I think we need to help. Obviously, you know, since you're on, you'll help people. Hey, what can what can they do to to better study the Bible? Because a lot of people have probably never even started, you know, or or, or like you said, they only put emphasis on the New Testament, so so they're only getting about uh, a quarter of the story, honestly, you know, of the whole story. So maybe you can help. Yeah, you know, I mean, listen to the way that I talk. Uh, I, I'm a Southern country boy, born and raised in Northeast Alabama, and I live in right. Eastern Tennessee in the uh, Great Smoky Mountains. I'm as country as they come. Uh, a lot of times, my English is so bad, I say things, and my wife says, Ryan, that's not a word. And I say, yeah, but you understood what I mean. So that's pretty scary to think about that. But um, I think a lot of times people overthink studying, and it's not that difficult. Uh, it's really simple steps. And what I mean by that is, I, I, I want to go back. When I was born again, my grandfather bought me my first Bible. And it was a King James Dakes Anatoted Study Bible. You know, old King James. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I cherish that thing because this first one came from my grandfather. I have it actually boxed up now sitting on my bookshelf because pages were falling out. And I wanted to keep it because it came from him. But when I started reading the Bible, I, I thought I was the dumbest person on the face of the earth. I was like, I can't do this. What are they talking about? You know, right. I'm, I'm reading it going, this is ridiculous. I don't know what you're saying. And I, I go to my grandfather and I and I tell him, I say, I, I, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm, I'm a dummy. I don't I don't know what people are talking about. I, I, I don't get this. And he said, read the parables. And he said, they're easy to understand and that'll help you grow. So I started reading the parables and I felt worse than I'd ever felt before because I was like, I, what, who is he talking to here? I don't understand what he, what is, what is a stone got to do? I, what, huh? You know, and, and I thought if this is easy, I'm in trouble. Right. And one day, I this is honest to goodness how it happened. One day, I, I grew up in more athletic. I didn't grow up working on cars or anything like that. I wish I had. Um, but I grew up playing ball 24-7, you know, just sports, sports, sports. And I, I I'm very ignorant and illiterate when it comes to anything engines. Right. Anything engines at all. I've had to teach myself a lot uh, to work on a vehicle, and I still don't know a ton. And a lot of YouTube University on how to repair the minor things, you know. But I I had a cousin that he and his father um, owned a, a muffler shop and stuff and everything, and I, I was real close to my cousin, and I would go and hang out and stuff, and I would hear them talk about vehicles, and, and I would, I'd have no clue what they were talking about. 
Not a clue. It sounded like a foreign language to me. But I'm down there one day and I realize, even though I don't understand what they're saying, they understand what each other are saying because they're talking about something that they both had some kind of concept about. And a light bulb went off in my head and I went, wait a minute. I'm going to go back to those parables. And, and the first thing I want to do when I read this first parable is, who is Jesus talking to? That's the first thing I want to look at. You know, my mind immediately went, is he talking to a bunch of mechanics? Is he talking to a bunch of, you know, electricians? Is he talking to, you know, and I started breaking things down in simply who he was talking to. And if I begin to understand who he was talking to, I could get a concept of what he was talking about based off of that. And so I started breaking things down. So I'm saying this to say, it really is the simple things in the in, in the understanding of ask yourself, wait, what's going on? You know, the simplicity of the who, what, where, when, why, and how. What What is taking place? How is this taking place? What year is this? And we get a little bit better of an understanding than that. And then the other thing I want to say is when you read a word and you don't know what the word means in definition, I'm not saying you got to know Hebrew and Greek. That's not right. what I'm implying. I'm talking about the definition of the word. Don't read over it and just let it go. Stop and take the time to look up the word. Hmm. Uh, for me, uh, I, I use Vine's Expository Dictionary a lot, okay. and it's yeah. just it's just a biblical dictionary. That's all it is. Uh, and so I can look up a word. I have an app on my phone. I can look up that word, and bam, I have a definition of that word uh, very, very quickly. And once I have an understanding of that word, a lot of times that verse all of a mm. sudden makes sense mm. off of one word that I didn't know. Right. And that's I, I, I try to tell people, Really simplify your study. Don't try to overanalyze everything. Ask the questions. You know, you know, uh, you know <laughs> sometimes when you teach different schools of ministry throughout Europe, people say, well, I'm afraid we'll ask a stupid question or a dumb question. Mm. Really, the only time you can ever ask a stupid or dumb question is when you refuse to ask any question. Right. That's the only yeah. time it becomes stupid or dumb is yeah. when you refuse to ask. Ask. You know, uh, we are to ask ourselves, okay, I read a verse and it said tree. Okay, obviously it meant a tree. I read another verse and it said juniper tree. Right. Ask yourself, why does that say juniper tree? And I read a verse over here and it just said tree. Is there something significant about juniper trees? Is there something significant about that person sitting at that juniper tree? It really is as simple as you want to make it mm. in that process. Uh, but I always tell people too, you know, I get questions. Uh, okay, wh what Bible translation should I use? And right. and I'm going to tell your listeners the very best Bible translation they can use. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> the one you will read. Amen. That's the best Bible translation out there. Now, I know I made a lot of people mad because they thought I was going to say King James only. But if you have a stack of King James Bibles, but you won't read them because it's too difficult to read for you, right. then get a new King James right. or get a new American Standard or, you know, get you something that will get you started in reading the Word of God in and of itself. Then you're going to find out, once you dive into it, you're going to find out you want a lot of translations because you want to see what other, how they're looked at and how they're broken apart and everything. And you're going to find the ones that you don't like. 
and you're going to find the ones that you love. You know, right. my my personal favorite is New American Standard, but I still pull out my New King James at times. Yeah, man. Um, and I pull out some of the other ones, uh, but I genuinely, for me, I struggle with King James because um, one, I mean, again, listen to the way that I talk. Um, <laughs> two, uh, King James has big words. And uh, sometimes those big words are a battle for me. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, just read what you will read. Yeah, that's a very simple. I love it. You know, I love it. I mean, I, my, my first Bible, too, was the King James Version Bible. I, I'm talking about the real leather cover, the gold leaf uh, pages where you yeah. got to separate them one by one. It takes you, I don't know how many hours to do that. And I was trying to read that thing. I felt like a moron, too. You know, I was like, I don't even know where to dive into. I was like, I'll just dive into Genesis. Okay. I get to Leviticus, I feel even worse. I don't feel like I've read, I've understood a single thing I read. Then I start reading the, okay, you shall do this. You shall. I'm like, I don't know what the heck's going on here, right? And then when I when I when I when I finally really truly you know got sold out for Jesus about three years ago, yeah, I mean, I just decided, okay, well, I don't know what Bible version am I gonna am I gonna go. I want with New King James version first. Now my now I know you can't the camera can't tell you the uh, the translations I have up there in the bookcase. But I got a, I got a, well, I do have an MEV right here, modern English version, you know, so if people like King James and here's one for them. I got you. I think the point is I got all these different translations uh, to help me understand. I love how you mentioned free resources. Yeah, you know, that is free. I mean, I, I personally like to use NET Bible is one of my favorite uh, resources to use. Uh, Blue Letter Bible is another great free resource. And point is that, that they're out there if people will just look. Yeah. People are willing to put in the time and the effort because I believe when people think of the word Bible study, they think, oh, I got a new version. You know, I read the verse of the day. I, I did my Bible study for it today. You know, and it's like, well, no, you didn't. You you kind of, right. you know, you didn't. You got one verse like, a, you know, and I'm sure you probably would agree that the hang of belief off of one single, ver one single uh, verse is, is an extremely dangerous uh, precedent to go on. Um, you know, and I believe and that's why, you know, we're talking, having this talk today is to offer people solutions, not just point out what the problem is, but what are the solutions? You know, what are the solutions to this? I would even call it a pandemic of biblical illiteracy. Yeah. You know, I, I get it, you'll have people that says, you know, I sit down, I try to read the Bible and, and I get bored or I get sleepy, I get tired, I get, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and I get that to a degree uh, because in all honesty, there's times that I've gotten tired, I've gotten sleepy. Uh, but in all honesty, if you put the TV guide, now I'm really dating myself there. Let me, let me modernize <laughs> this. Uh, if you put uh, her magazine, still a thing, People Magazine, uh, I think that's still a thing in my hands. I'm probably going to fall asleep at the same time because when you're tired, you're tired. Right. Um, and, and, and I get it. However, you will make time for what you want to make time for. That's just, it's just the realistic side Boom. of it. Um, I, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's like uh, complaining because, you know, church went over an extra 30 minutes. And not everybody, but a lot of those same individuals never complain about the ball game going in overtime. Right. Or they never complain that the movie they sat through is three hours long. 
and never got up to go to the bathroom during that entire three-hour movie because you wanted to see it. And I'm not discrediting sports, and I'm not discrediting movies. Again, what I'm saying is you'll make time for what you want to make time for. Uh, you'll go and watch a three-hour movie because it's the latest, greatest superhero movie. Never get up after you drink a big, large drink, ate popcorn, nachos, hot dog, whatever. But you don't want to miss the scene, so you don't want to get up. But you come to church, uh, and worship goes for 45 minutes, and that's too long in your opinion. Then the pastor talks another 45 minutes, and that's too long in your opinion. In the process, you've got up three times to go to the restroom and stretch your legs and all that. This is you know, kind of the issue that I have in the sense of what people will kind of say, well, I just don't have time for that. Yeah, you do. You just have to learn how to... Um, allow your agenda or your schedule to reevaluate that. Right. Um, it, it, it's, it's amazing to watch um, little league. I, I don't know what they call it anymore. Little kids play baseball and basketball and football, peewee sports and all that type of stuff. Um, and parents will travel hundreds of miles for mm -hmm. games. Uh, the bomb, the latest, greatest equipment, the best shoes, all this stuff. Um, and they will live on the road to give this child an experience, and hopefully one day it'll you know pay off in college um, or whatever the case may be. But they won't make time to study the Word of God, or they won't mm -hmm. make time to hear the Word of God, or attend church, be a part of something. Those are kind of the things that you got to set back and reevaluate and mm -hmm. say, okay, what exactly am? What is the priority in my life? Um, I know, like, I have a, um, an iPhone, and my phone once a week gives me an alert, and it tells me how much time uh, that I'd spend on my phone during mm -hmm. that week. It says how many hours, what the percentage was, and if I click on it, I can sit there and see which app I spent the most amount of time on per day, per week. I wonder what our life would look like mm -hmm. if we put worship word and prayer on that, how much would we give that attention to mm. uh, versus, you know, would we spend more time on Instagram or Facebook versus more time we do in our Bible app or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I have a Bible app. I honestly don't spend a whole lot of time in my Bible app versus my actual Bible. Um, but you know, I just wonder if we reevaluated ourselves, what would that really look like? So, and I, I, I don't want to undermine anybody and say that their reason is not a real and legitimate reason. It is mm. I, in, in some cases, but often, often it simply is a matter of how much you value something. Yeah. Um, priorities, right? Can you get up an extra 10 minutes early? Can you, um, you know, take the long way home? Um, you know, whatever the case may be, um, and, and, and really prioritize things differently. I think it, going back to 150 years ago, the church structure, you know, everything revolved around the church and, and people say, well, there was nothing else to do in the world. And you're right. There was nothing else to do. So church was a major influence in the lives of family members and stuff and everything. Now I have to sit here and say, is there too much of worldly things that mm. are preoccupying our time? Whereas it, you know, the word of God, study, worship, prayer, 
don't have that same appreciation as it once did and as it should. Mm. Yeah. What about, um, we're getting close to the end of it. Now, I, would you say, now I know I'm not like, when I ask this question, I'm not pawning responsibility uh, onto one person or taking it off mm -hmm. of anybody. But would you say that perhaps church leaders, whether senior pastor, apostle, whatever, the deacons, don't put enough emphasis on actual studying the word of God? I'd, unfortunately, I would say that number is a high percentage. Um, you have many in, in America, in North America, let, let me centralize that, in, in, in the United States, um, you have a large movement where they will acknowledge the gifts of Holy Spirit, they'll acknowledge prophecy, signs, wonders, and miracles, but nothing's ever demonstrated in a service because they don't want to offend anybody or upset anybody or make people uneasy. Um, then you have other denominations that do not encourage it because they want to make sure that their pastor or their apostle, whoever it is that's in lead, they want to make sure that that individual is the end all for all things. Right. That's the source of knowledge. So everything's got to come through that leader um, in that. You know, I I've, have some family members that are a part of a particular denomination where they're encouraged never to bring their Bibles to church and not read their Bibles at all. Um, everything they mm. need to know about the Word of God comes from their pastor. Gotcha. And the pastor can be definitive on some of those things. Um, years ago, uh, this particular family member couldn't text their parent because uh, that was considered a sin per the pastor. Mm. Texting was. Um, then at one time, you know, you have these little bitty toddler girls and, and moms put big bows in their hair, you know, and they weren't permitted to do that because the pastor said that was a sin that was creating a lustful image in that little girl. Uh, and, and, and so I, I do, unfortunately, it's not across the board, but I would say that number is a lot larger than what we want to really give credit for. Right. Because a lot of it is centralized in the sense of we want to make sure that everything is is going to that one individual and that they have all the answers to everything. Mm. Um, and so we don't really look for the answer in the Word of God ourselves. We look to the person who represents the Word of God for us. Right. And that's the way a lot of ministries are gifted. And I think, God, it's not all that way. Right. Correct. You know, every church is not that way. Every ministry is not that way. Every denomination is not that way. Um, you know, other denominations are not the way, not every. Um, because you do have individuals that are teaching them, hey, you need to get in the Word of God and you need to look for yourself. Um, but it, we're just so ingrained to have someone that represents our idea of God. And this is nothing new. The children of Israel, that happened with Moses. Moses yeah. is on the mountain in the presence of God. They look at Aaron and say, we need something to, to, to look at, to know that this is our representation because Moses is on the mountain. Mm. <clears throat> and those things happen. They have happened for generations. They continue to happen. But this is why it's so important to know the word of God yourself. Mm. You can't ever recognize that you're being deceived if you first don't have a foundation that can identify what is deception. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I know there's probably, I don't know how much we could go dig into on this topic. And so this is barely 
scratching this is fun. This is bar- this is bar- barely scratching the surface. Um, but at least I hope the listeners uh, got an idea of, of what to do, of what not to do, maybe how they should reprioritize their lives, you know, priorities of work, as we used to say in the army, you know, take your priorities of work and, and, and just, you know, I'm just going to pose a question before we enter to, to, to the audience say, if there wasn't, if there was a phone app that could track your life, you know, how much movies, how many movies you watched, how many other books you read, you know, none of those things in in no bad themselves, but everything else that you did besides study the Bible and pray, if there was an app that could track your life like that, what would it say about you? Just, just, just a question I'm throwing out there before we end, because, you know, just, just food for thought, meditate on it, you know, may not apply to you, but if it does, it could apply to everybody. We could always do things in our life better and make better time for God because it's, you know, I, let, let's admit it all. We all do. I don't care what your position is. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what kind of leader you are. That We all tend to drift away from God, at least in some degree or another, in our lives. And we don't have to, have to catch ourselves, if, if I'm being honest about myself, too. So, anyways, uh, we got to wrap this up. Um, and so, I, I greatly appreciate you ha- uh, having you on. I love I love what you write. I love your blogs. Um, I love the Blacksmith Chronicles and I was uh, starting to listen to your one message where you opened up about your dad, and I really thoroughly enjoyed that. I just want to let you know that. So listeners, audience out there, I'll put all the links in the show notes on how you can get in touch with Ryan Johnson Ministries and all, and and his ministries also has the ability for you to become a partner. So I'll put that link in there too if you want to. If you love what what he's about and you want to help out uh, his ministry, I'll put that link there as well. All right, so... uh, uh, with that, we, we're going to wrap up this uh, episode, and I say to you all, God bless you. Use your God-given voice for the glory of God.